Now, the passage today, of course, this is Palm Sunday. This is the time that we read about a moment ago when Jesus had what is called his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And when he came to the people in that manner, they responded by quoting a passage out of the Psalms. Our scripture reading today is the entirety of that particular psalm, Psalm 118. Hear now the word of the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, the steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among the thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless You from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to You. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Very few events in the life of our Lord are staged. But His triumphal entry was staged. Jesus set it up. He told His disciples where to go and where to find the appropriate animals. And He picked the time and the place and the manner. And He actually had a piece of street theater that gave the people a glimpse 
of something they needed to see. And that is, this is on a Sunday, a first day of the week, of what we call Holy Week, because it is that last week of the Lord in which so many significant events took place. He had spent the night before in Bethany with his dear beloved friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Lazarus was back from the tomb. He had a new lease on life. The Bible says in context there in John 12 that large crowds were gathering. Large crowds had seen the resurrection and the resuscitation and the coming forth of Lazarus. They had been there. Many more had heard about it. The crowd was beginning to gather. The leaders of the Jews were beginning to get more worried and they were seeking a time and a place that they could kill the Lord. They had even told the people to keep them in, informed as to where Jesus was. And the Bible refers over and over to the crowd, the large crowd. It was getting larger and larger and larger. And as the popularity and the fame of Jesus grew, Jesus had a moment where He was on stage, as it were, before them. And this was the triumphal entry. He entered into the gate of Jerusalem, down the thoroughfare, moving toward the temple, where He will spend almost all of His time for these next few days especially on the end of the week, in, on Wednesday and Thursday. Thursday night, He will meet with His disciples for the Last Supper, the Passover. Next day, He will hang on a cross being crucified on Friday. He will be removed from the cross before sundown on Friday because that begins the Sabbath. And they will put him in the tomb Friday night. And he will all day Saturday keep the Sabbath. He will rest in the tomb. Friday night, all day Saturday, and into the early hours of Sunday morning, the third day, Jesus will be in the tomb. But he will be raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit of God will raise him from the dead. That mortality will put on immortality. That corruptible will put on incorruption. And He will be raised to new life, to resurrection life. Fully human in His death. Fully human in His resurrection. Raised by the power of God. And this will be the Gospel story that will burst forth from that day on, from that next week, that first day on Sunday, the first day of the week. Eight days after this event, the gospel story will be told. It's an interesting thing as these things are unfolding, and, and uh, I, I'd never talk about Palm Sunday without mentioning the little visual that the Lord gave him. As he comes through the gates, he's riding on a little mule, the foal of a donkey, the offspring of a horse and a donkey. And it's a white mule. And it is the signal of his Davidic kingship, because all of David's sons, including Solomon, especially Solomon, rode on white mules. And so when they saw him humble, riding upon this little animal and coming in to the gates, they knew what they were looking at, and they immediately 
began to sing Hosanna to the Lord and they quoted the 26th verse of this particular psalm. That's what gives us a reference back to it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is what this day is all about. This is the coming of the Lord to His place, to His house. The very next portion of that verse says, we bless you from the house of the Lord. This is Jesus, the true temple of God, coming to the temple in honor and in praise to take His rightful place. The rest of the week, He will be teaching in the temple. He will be doing great things. He will be speaking to huge, massive crowds. Gentiles and Jews. The leaders of the people as well as the masses of the people. He will be preaching and teaching. He'll be teaching His disciples in the temple. He is coming to His house. This was the day that was spoken by the prophet Haggai that Zerubbabel said that the glory of this latter house, that is Zerubbabel's temple, the second temple, will be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple. Because this is the temple that the very Messiah Himself, the Son of David, rightful heir to the throne, riding upon the animal, will come humbly but forcefully to His rightful place. And it says, we bless you from the house of the Lord. There's an interesting thing we read when we read our uh, passage out of John that gives us one of the accounts of the triumphal entry of Christ. And it said, um, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. Did you catch that? Not when it was all happening did they put it all together, Jesus' disciples. But when it was over, when the whole drama had worked its way out, when salvation's plan had been accomplished, the disciples begin to realize, and I believe under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, they begin to realize that all of these things that were happening to Christ in these days, almost, almost hour by hour, almost moment by moment in this, in this last week, all of these things that happened to Him had been written about Him. And yet, here they're being fulfilled in Him. And after the fact the apostles realized the great significance. What things? Well, the Old Testament are full of them. Uh, He's already accomplished one of them out of Zechariah, the passage that he would come to Jerusalem in this fashion, lowly and humble and enter through the gates riding upon the little animal, that he would be their king, but he would come in humility. But what they had not caught were many, many, many of the subtleties of the prophetic scriptures that talked about Christ. And this particular psalm is absolutely packed with things about Christ. Now, we normally suggest that when you read the psalms, you think about three people. You've heard me say this a dozen times. When you read the psalms, think about the psalmist, usually King David, but maybe someone else. What was he going through at the time? What was the circumstance? What was his attitude? What was his state of mind? What was his predicament? 
Think about the psalmist. We don't have to do that so much today. But also think about Christ. Is Christ in this psalm anywhere? Is there any suggestion or hint or even bold statement that Christ is in this psalm? And then thirdly, think about yourself. What is your predicament? What is your circumstance in life? Where do you stand before God? And what have you done? And what are you doing for the kingdom of God and the work of God? How is your soul? What kind of, of condition is your soul? Will you cry out with the psalmist, no man cared for my soul? Or will you say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Be lifted up. All of that is in the Psalms. But what I want us to see in just a sketch this morning is the thorough saturation of this particular Psalm with things having to do with Christ. So we won't think about David. The Holy Spirit will force you to think about yourself, I trust. But we are going to see the Lord there. First thing you notice about this Psalm is what's called an incluso. The first verse and the last verse are exactly the same verse. In other words, it's like giant brackets around this passage that says, here, take a look at this. And it is set forth for us here in Psalm 118. And there are three classes of people that need to talk about the steadfast love of the Lord. And the steadfast love of the Lord is manifested, pageanted, set forth, and embodied in Jesus Christ. When you read the passage, the steadfast love of the Lord, that is Christ. God has loved us in Christ. God so loved us that He gave us Jesus Christ. Here in His love. Not that we loved Him, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God commends His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The steadfast love of the Lord is bound up in a package, and that package is the gift of Jesus Christ Himself. The forgiveness of sins, the eternal life, and all that He brings. So just that one phrase would make a sermon, wouldn't it? The steadfast love of the Lord. Who is to proclaim this gospel message of the steadfast love of the Lord? Well, there's three people that are mentioned. Israel, that's the church, that's God's people. That's God's chosen people from Abraham's day all the way through to our day. The church ought to proclaim the steadfast love of the Lord. They ought to preach the gospel with everything they do. But notice it's even more particular than that. He says, let the house of Aaron say the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Who's Aaron? Aaron is the high priest, Moses' brother, the high priest in ancient Israel. And it's the house of Aaron that is the priestly ministers before the Lord. If there's anybody that should be preaching the gospel, it's those that handle the sacred things. And one of the great passages in the Bible is in the book of Acts, where there's one little sentence where it says, and many priests believed on him. You know, the priests never got an allotment in the land. They never had a piece of the land in the real estate except for a few cities. Why? The Lord told them over and over, I am your inheritance. The Lord is the inheritance of the sons of Aaron. And now the Lord comes and He comes. Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. That's the, that's the joy here. This message is about the coming of Christ. 
the presentation of Christ to the world as the Lamb of God on that Passover week, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's His blood that will be splattered upon the doorpost that the death angel will see and will pass by the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is God's salvation to His people. And if anybody ought to be proclaiming it, it's those that are the sons of Aaron. Ironically, it will be the high priestly family, the direct descendants of Aaron, who will condemn Jesus to the cross. It's Caiaphas, a direct descendant of Aaron, the high priest of that day, that will say that this man ought to die instead of the nation. They were afraid that Jesus would raise such a political disturbance that Rome would move in on the tiny country of Judea. And so they reckoned that it was better to put this man to death, put Christ to death, this rabble-rouser, this insurrectionist they accused him of being, this lawbreaker, better to put him to death than for the whole nation to die at the hands of the soldiers of Caesar. Wow, I don't think that high priest realized what a preacher he was. It was necessary that one man die for the nation. And that's God's people. Jesus came to save His people from their sins. And this is all about the coming of the Lord. In my dis- and then the third category of people that are to uh, praise the Lord and, and talk about the gospel of the steadfast love are those who fear the Lord. You remember, that's a phrase that's used in the New Testament, the God-fearers. It could certainly be Israel, it could certainly be Aaron, but it opens the door to all the nations, all the Gentiles. The God-fearers, Cornelius, Lydia, others that were fearers of God, that, that recognized the faithful and true God in the Father of Jesus Christ. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. And this passage is all about Him. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Think of these next few verses as I sort of sketch through them as the ordeal under which Jesus went in His days of trial on earth. The Bible says Jesus suffered. It wasn't just in the garden, I mean just in the wilderness of temptation that Jesus suffered. It was all the way through to the garden of Gethsemane. He was always in controversy. He was always misunderstood. He was always trying to explain himself to his disciples, to his family, to his neighbors, to the Jews, to the the multitudes. He was trying to insist that he was the one that had come down from heaven to redeem the remnant of Israel, the people that God had given him and to die for them and to save them. And yet he suffered the whole time. But he's suffering in our place. He's suffering in our stead. He says, I, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. Jesus knew what they were going to do to Him. They were going to crucify Him. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. This same throng that were fascinated by the miracle with Lazarus, that were fascinated with the teachings of Jesus, 
that came to hear him explain things and had heard him give all of these many discourses that John records especially, they, they were an incredible multitude on this bright, beautiful Sunday when Jesus rode, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But you check out this same crowd by Friday morning. Friday morning they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. They had completely turned on the Christ. And that's what all of this talks about. He says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The Lord did not trust the political system. The princes and the establishment. He was looking only to the Father. Notice verse 16, I mean verse 10. All nations surround me. There was a throng, there was a pilgrim throng. There were Jews and Gentiles and they were from all over the place were there. There in that temple court and in the environs of Jesus' trial. He says, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. In other words, I shut them out. The Bible says he despised the shame. They were mocking him, making fun of him, but he despised it. He ignored it. He cut it off. He put it out of his mind. And instead, he had fixed his eyes upon the cross and he was willing to go through that awful ordeal because of those that the Father had given him and the, those he loves, the sons of Aaron that will believe, the, the Israelites that will come to know Him and all those that fear the Lord that will come to Him. It's doing it for us. They surrounded me. They surrounded me on every side. Can you imagine the howling mob when Jesus stood on the pavement there before Pilate and then before Herod and then back before Pilate again and the scourging that He received? Can you imagine the gnashing teeth He saw of that pilgrim throng as far as the eye could see out of that elevated portion of the temple grounds? A massive mob. They surrounded me like bees. The threatening, swarming bees. Like fire going out among the thorns. Among the dry uh, uh, thorns of that desert. In the name of the Lord, I, I was pushed hard so that I was falling. How oh, can you imagine the Lord's emotional condition after he had been in the garden all night. He had been rested and bound and brought to Pilate, was standing before Pilate, had been sent off to be scourged. And they lacerated his back with the whips. And then he had been brought back, blood dripping. They had put the crown of thorns on him. They had mocked him with the robe. They had made fun of him in every way. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. Oh, thank God he didn't fall. Thank God he didn't quit. Thank God he didn't call 10,000 angels to deliver him. Thank God he took the last ounce of the wrath of God for us. It says, but the Lord has helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation in the tents of the righteous. Then it talks about the right hand. And every time the right hand of God is mentioned in the Bible, it's, it's, it's a beautiful anthropomorphism, which basically tells us that God has a strong right arm. It is a dexterous, strong, effective, skillful hand and arm. And that's the 
the organ of God's accomplishment, God's power, God's strength, God's effectiveness. And the Bible says that it's the right hand of the Lord that does valiantly. We're talking about a war here. We're talking about hand-to-hand combat. This is Jesus, our Savior, in mortal combat with the serpent over the whole issue of sin and salvation and the rescuing and the delivering of His people. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Where is Jesus today? At the right hand of the Father. He is the right hand of the Father. He's the one that accomplishes salvation. Isaiah, when he put forth his great prophecy, he says, my servant will deal prudently and wisely and victoriously and valiantly. And then he goes into, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And with his stripe, we are healed. This is Jesus Christ in battle, in combat, on a mission for His people. And then the great passage talks about, I shall not die, but I shall live. The hope of the resurrection. That hope of the resurrection has sustained Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, and every other man and woman of God through the centuries. The very notion that death is not the end. The sting of death is not the final sting of the swarming bees and the poisonous serpent. But there is a brazen serpent that has been lifted up. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And all they had to do in the ancient day was to look at that serpent that Moses had erected high upon the pole and live. And that's what we do with the Lord. We look and we live. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely. By the way, just so much here, I'm out of time, but I'm going to stop. But I'm not going to stop until I say this. I just love the detail of Scripture. And listen to this. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Do you remember Resurrection Day? When Jesus came out of the tomb at daybreak and was, the tomb was empty and He was alive and He began to show Himself to the disciples, the women first, and then to the men. Do you remember what He did that afternoon? He walked along the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples. And what did he do? He began in the Old Testament and went all the way through the prophets and the law and the scriptures about the things concerning himself. What a, what a statement about that resurrection day. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. This is the Lord's doing, verse 23. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not what you do, it's what God has done for you. It's not what you do for Him, it's what God has done for you in Christ. It's not what you do, it's what God has done for you in Christ and accomplished it such that it is finished. The final dregs of the cup of wrath 
have been consumed by Him so that you don't have to. And the invigorating life of the resurrection has been imparted to you by the Spirit of God completely and entirely. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. What day are we talking about? The day that the Lord has made. The resurrection day, the day of salvation. That's what this whole thing is talking about. Is salvation. Is salvation. Come. Believe Him. Crucified. And raised again. For your justification. You want to be in right standing? You want to be justified? You want to be right on all counts before the Lord? You want your sins removed as far as the east is from the west? You want your conscience purged of all the guilt and the shame of your life, the decisions you've made and the things you've done and the thoughts you've had? You want a clean, pure slate before God's bar of absolute justice. And that's in Christ. Seize. Seize Him as your Savior today.